Welcome to Biblical Tapestry Podcast Season 3, Episode 6 in the Book of Colossians, a letter written by Paul to the church in Colossae. Biblical Tapestry is a podcast where we explore how the Bible is, is its own commentary, how the gospel is thoroughly woven from Genesis to Revelation, and we begin this Episode 6 in Chapter 2 where Paul puts up a defense of the faith where heresy is exposed and describes the theological threat. All right, Colossians chapter 2, starting in verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by him who is the head over every ruler and authority. You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands, by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses. He erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us, and opposed to us, and has taken it out of the way by nailing it on the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. All right, there is a lot of things to unpack here. There are two theological threats that Paul exposes. The first is soteriology. Soteriology, I know that's very difficult for me to say, but it's a soteriological threat and the second was a threat concerning sanctification. Soteriology is the branch of theology dealing with the nature and means of salvation. Sanctification, which we'll get to next episode, is the act of sanctifying or making holy. Theologically, this is the act of God's grace by which the believers are purified and the soul is cleansed from sin and consecrated to God. Both of these are core tenets of the Christian faith. All right, back to verse 8. Be careful that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit based on human tradition, based on the elemental forces of the world, and not based on Christ. Paul is seeing in Colossae a planned and organized attack against Christian theology in the church. And he warned to not let anyone be taken captive by this threat, being taken captive by philosophies and deceit that sounded good but was heretical and against fundamental Christian beliefs. What does Paul mean by philosophy, or some translations have it hollow and empty philosophy? These philosophies were not theology and were secular-derived. Now, nothing is wrong with the study of philosophy, but the empty deceit that was behind the philosophical view to pull people away from Christ was the problem. What was this particular philosophy is really still unknown to us, but whatever it was became the basis for a destructive heresy that threatened the life of the church. What we know is Paul called this view being based on human tradition, it was a human tradition that was they were looking into. This was man's attempt to arrive at the truth in a human thought without 
godly support as an attempt to describe or solve the meaning of life. There was only human support, and it lacked divine truth. I am sure <laughs> you could think of many of those human-derived thoughts circulating even today. This human tradition was based on elemental forces of the world. Now, what is that? Well, we're not sure. Perhaps he meant the forces of the four basic elements of the world being fire, wind, earth, and water. In some teachings, these elemental forces were different, were signs of the zodiac, perhaps, and the perceived powers of star and planet alignment. Regardless, the heresy was convincing people to worship these elements and not the creator of all the elements. Paul addresses this in his letter to Galatia in Galatians chapter 4 verse 8. But in the past when you didn't know God you were enslaved to things that by nature are not God's. But now since you know God or rather have become known by God how can you turn back again to the weak and bankrupt elemental forces do you want to be enslaved to them all over again you observe special days months seasons and years i am fearful for you that perhaps my labor for you has been wasted this was a pagan theology and not worship of the creator richard Mellick writes in his commentary christianity brings a higher and better system of worship to its believers this elemental philosophy was incompatible with the work that Christ did on the cross for mankind. This was a, a corrupt and earthly philosophy that ignored the Creator and honored creation above God. So what is the answer to this threat to the church? Well, let's look at verses 9 and 10. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ, and you have been filled by Him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Paul again clearly tells us that Jesus is completely God. Now, there are some notes from the New English Translation Bible that says this, This is not a temporary dwelling, but a permanent one. Paul's point is polemical against the idea that the fullness of God dwells anywhere else, as the Gnostics believe, excepting Christ alone. At the Incarnation, the second person of the Trinity assumed humanity and is forever the God-man. The entire fullness of God's nature indwelled Christ and still does. Now this God-man understanding is nearly impossible to express in human language alone. But how does this affect believers? In verse 10, Paul expressed that believers are filled with Christ. Filled with Christ. Christ is God fully in God's presence and dwells believers through the Holy Spirit, assuring us of salvation and ownership. Christ is the head where all creation is subject to him. There is no need to supplant the rule of Christ in our lives with any other inferior substitute. Our salvation is completed through Christ. There is no need for any other activity or belief outside of Christ the head over every ruler and authority, and the one that fills the believer's lives. Verse 11, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh in the circumcision of the Messiah. The first requirement of the law was circumcision. This introduced the Jew to 
all of the law's obligations, and the Jews were clear that no one could keep the law without being circumcised. Now Paul takes this physical and legal step of the law and relates it to baptism and resurrection, as we will see in verse 12. This spiritual circumcision was not accomplished by human hands and the cutting of the flesh by putting off the old spiritual flesh, the old nature or a new nature that wasn't accomplished by human hands. It's not done by humanity. It was done by God. And then circumcision, when it was made, was made to show a commitment in a changed heart. And without a committed and changed heart, circumcision itself was meaningless. And God tells us in Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 5, The Lord your God will bring you into the land your fathers possessed, and you will take possession of it. He will cause you to prosper and multiply you more than he did your fathers. The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the hearts of your descendants, and you will love him with all your heart, with all your soul, that you will live so that you will live. And then Paul says in Romans chapter 2, verse 28, For a person is not a Jew, he is one outwardly, and true circumcision is not something visible in the flesh. On the contrary, a person is a Jew who is one inwardly, and a circumcision is of the heart, by the spirit, not the letter. That man's praise is not from men, but from God. It was always intended to show a change. Circumcision was a matter of the heart as always intended, not the body. It was something that was called for by the law, but it was to demonstrate something spiritually that has happened. Verse 11 again says, You were also circumcised in him with a circumcision not done with hands by putting off the body of flesh and the circumcision of the Messiah. An old self, an old nature, was put off. That old flesh was put off. And a new purpose, a new nature from Christ, comes to indwell the believer. Romans 12.1 says, Therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, I urge you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. At conversion, the believer has a new direction. He begins to act differently, demonstrating a change, a new nature. This is spiritual circumcision of the heart from Christ the Messiah to the believer. Just as circumcision was symbolic of a change in attitude and understanding of the law, now we have baptism, which is also symbolizing a change. Verse 12, Having been buried with him in baptism, you were also raised with him through faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. Here Paul related the spiritual circumcision to baptism. At the time of salvation, the spiritual circumcision was performed. The old life was buried, just as baptism also symbolizes. Only what is dead can be buried. Christ's death was proved by his burial. Christ's resurrection was proved by the witness of many who saw Jesus alive. For the believer, in baptism, the water symbolizes the grave through immersion and then pictures a resurrection to a new life when raised from the water.
Romans 6 1 says what should we say then should we continue to sin so that grace may multiply absolutely not how can we who died to sin still live in it or are you unaware that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death therefore we were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father so we too may walk in a new way of life. Paul is not talking to the Colossians about water baptism but the spiritual reality it symbolized. The act of salvation through Christ. The theology of salvation. At the point of salvation the believer has buried his old life and a spiritual resurrection has occurred. This is a model for our faith and the basis of our faith. God raised Christ because of the faithfulness of Christ to die for mankind and created the path for humanity. Baptism itself is a picture of that experience. Richard Mellick ties this passage with circumcision and baptism together for us in the commentary and his commentary on Colossians. Circumcision is no longer required or desired. In the Old Testament, physical circumcision represented the first requirement of the law, but God always desired spiritual circumcision. Christians are spiritually circumcised when they are united with Christ by faith at the time of salvation. God took care of the first of the Jewish requirements, therefore in salvation. By this picture, Paul compared the initial entrance to two contrasting systems. Circumcision brought the legal system. Salvation brought a relationship of freedom by faith. Verse 13 says, And when you were dead and in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh he made you alive with him and forgave us all our trespasses the former condition of the Colossians was dead in sin and enslaved the old flesh God acted on behalf of sinners while they were still sinners God saved them while they were spiritually uncircumcised dead in trespasses required a resurrection from the dead and uncircumcision requires circumcision both accomplished by Christ and his death on the cross which gave the ability to be forgiven and given a new life through Christ only God can make us alive again and he did that through Christ verse 14 says he erased the certificate of debt with its obligations that was against us and opposed to us and has taken it out of the way by nailing it to the cross no human effort can save no legalistic list of actions can pay the price of redemption we do not have a contractual obligation that fulfilled can save us we cannot make ourselves good to God's standards as we have a certificate of indebtedness a payment is required that cannot be paid however Christ took that note of indebtedness and all the obligations that are tied to it and nailed it to the cross where he suffered, bled, and died. Christ erased the debt that we could not pay. The law pointed to the debt, but that debt was paid by the sacrificial death of the Lamb of God. Christ satisfied, satisfied the law's demands for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9.22 says, According to the law, almost everything is purified with blood without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness 
God's mercy and justice devised a way to uphold the law and yet pardon the sinner. Verse 15 says, He disarmed the rulers and authorities and disgraced them publicly. He triumphed over them by him. God in Christ triumphed over all beings. When Christ hung naked and disgraced on the cross, dying in the most painful and humiliating way, the tables were turned, and God triumphed in the redemptive work of Christ over all authorities and powers. Next episode 7, we will look into the next verses where Paul discusses the doctrine of sanctification. I hope you again have gained from this new season 3 study in the book of Colossians. God bless you today and I encourage you to spend time in God's word. Biblical Tapestry has a Facebook and Instagram page and I encourage you also to like and share this podcast if you have gained from this study at all. God bless, and I pray that you are well.